you're listening to a podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. May only truth be spoken and only truth received. Amen. Well, it would seem that the architects of the lectionary would have us exploring the theme of calling over these cold winter weeks. Last Sunday, it was the story of the call of Jeremiah to be a prophet. Well, this week we have Isaiah's call in our first reading and Simon Peter's in the Gospel. Dovetails really rather nicely with the two gatherings we'd arranged to talk about matters of vocation, call, gifts, discipleship, connected to our participation in the Communities of Calling initiative with the Collegeville Institute. We didn't even anticipate that when we set those dates. You've got to like that. Now, there are some parallels between Jeremiah's story from last week and Isaiah's from this. Most obviously, both are from the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. Both have to do with the prophetic call to dare to speak God's message into a society that tended to have closed ears and hard, weary hearts. Both accounts have about them a visionary, dreamlike quality. Jeremiah, he hears the voice of God calling him. And though he protests that this prophecy thing is a bad fit for him, I'm just a boy, too young, not yet seasoned, not yet mature. His objections are dismissed. Jeremiah hears that voice telling him that he will not have to do this alone and that he will be given words. And as he hears this, he also feels his mouth being touched by the hand of God and he surrenders, okay, okay, I'll do it. The experience recounted in Isaiah is even more visionary, dreamlike, even mystical. Isaiah finds himself peering into the very courts of heaven The Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, the hem of God's robe filling the temple. Seraphs, angels, are in attendance, each with six wings, two to cover their faces, two to cover their feet, and two with which they flew. Well, that kind of a vision is going to put a crick in your neck at the very least. Maybe even bend your mind and imagination right out of shape. And as Isaiah is visioning all of this, he heard those angels calling out to one another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of God's glory. It's the angelic hymn, which is the source of what we sing every Sunday during communion. The Sanctus, our holy, holy, holy. Well, quite understandably, Isaiah reacts to all of this in fear. Woe is me, he cries, I'm lost, for I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. My eyes have seen the Lord, which in the tradition of the Hebrew Scriptures means he's in deep, deep trouble. Recall from Exodus, no one may see me and live That's what the Lord had spoken to Moses, to Moses. 
Now Moses is the greatest leader, the liberator, the great prophet, the greatest that that people had ever known. And so if Moses isn't able to look upon God without dying, Isaiah must have thought, I'm a dead duck. And the strange vision continues. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. And the seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has disappeared. Your sin is blotted out. And then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. And with that, the fullness of Isaiah's prophetic ministry is in motion. Here I am. Send me. Now, by comparison, the story from the gospel according to Luke is much earthier, right? doesn't have the smoke and the angels and the temple and the garment of the Lord so large that it fills the whole space. No, from beginning to end, you can easily picture Luke's story in your mind. Jesus is by the lake, with people all around looking to hear his message. When he looks up, he sees two boats by the shore. The fishermen are done for the day. They're already cleaning their nets. Jesus walks over to Simon's boat, climbs in, and asks Simon to put out a little from the shore. I imagine here a seriously raised eyebrow on the part of Simon. We're done for the day. There's still some work to be done on these nets. The sun is getting hot. I have no desire to put the boat back out on the lake. Yet there does seem to be something about Jesus' bearing, his inner authority, such that whenever he engages people, they seem to just draw toward him. The various stories of the calling of the disciples are like that. He says, follow me. And time and again, people just do. So yes, Simon pushes the boat out on the lake, and from that space, Jesus teaches the crowds, with the boat serving as a kind of a stage from which he can be seen and heard. Now i got to wonder, did Simon's mind wander as Jesus spoke? Did his eyes keep darting towards those nets so desperately in need of a good cleaning? Don't really know, but what we do know is that after the teaching is done, Jesus has Simon row out a bit more. And then he tells him, now let down your nets again. Master, we've worked all night long, but we've caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I I will let down the nets. Now there's deference in this, right? He, He does call him master. But is Simon also saying something like, uh... We're, we're the fishermen here. Like, we've fished all night. That's when you catch fish. To toss the nets at, into the water at this time of day with the sun out, it's a bit of a fool's errand, but I'll do it. Well, you heard how it turns out, right? The nets go in, and right away they're so full of fish that they're almost breaking. Into the water comes that other boat, yet even the two of them, try as they might, can hardly haul the fish in without the boats beginning to risk sinking. But the really significant point in this story 
is Simon Peter's response. He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Now, don't you hear in that a little bit of an echo of Isaiah? Woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips. Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. What's notable, of course, is that Jesus will have none of it. Just as in the case of both Isaiah and Jeremiah, God will have none of it. In all three stories, their objections are simply overruled. In the case of those two prophets from the Old Testament, it's accompanied by a symbolic touching or purifying of their mouths. In the gospel story, it's a more straight-up rejection of Peter's protests. Do not be afraid, Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Straight away, Simon Peter's back on his feet and along with James and John, ready to hit the road with Jesus wherever he will lead them. Do not be afraid, Simon. I'm good with broken things and broken people. Do not be afraid, Simon, because in fact when someone knows that they're broken or they're weak or in trouble or off the mark, that's precisely when I see them as ready to be called. God's strength is made perfect in our weakness, Paul will later realize. But only after he himself has been confronted by his own weakness, his own need, and realized he didn't actually have to be strong, flawless, or without wounds, that he of his own accord didn't need to be able to do anything at all on his own. So, what do these stories have to do with us? And that idea that Jesus is good with broken things and broken people, what does it have to do with us? Well, a, a good deal, actually. Not that we're likely to be lifted into a vision of the heavenly courts, smelling that smoke and hearing those angels sing, and not that we're likely to experience something like that wild catch of fish next time we put the canoe out on the lake, throw in the, the line on our fishing rods. But all the same, we too can easily fall into the who me, <laughs> not me, mindset that these stories recall. I mean, there is work to be done, right? This is a hurting world in so many, many ways. From environmental degradation to the ongoing call for reconciliation within our own society to this world's aching need for compassion. This is a world that hungers for beauty, to borrow a phrase from Jim Krogert's song. And one that cries out for imaginations big enough to continue to dream of peace against all odds. It's a world that needs deep and steady prayer, along with hands and feet that are ready to engage, to go into action. We are called to be Jesus' disciples. In fact, we are his disciples called to bring whatever gifts we have into a deep encounter with all of those needs and longings and fears and hungers, just as Jesus did when he walked those dusty roads 2,000 years ago. 
Who, me? What can I actually do in the midst of so much need? Surely not me. Besides, I have my own things i got to deal with. To which Jesus says to us, Oh, you're sounding a bit too much like Simon Peter did that day on the beach. Listen, don't be afraid. I work well with broken things and broken people. In other words, he works well with us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You've been listening to a St. Benedict's Table podcast. For more information on our church or to provide support for our online work, visit us at stbenedictstable.ca.